0: turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read the first seven verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The other night I was listening to a famous preacher, who uh, I will not mention, you'll find out why in a moment. But he introduced the book of 2 Corinthians with the following words. Of all the letters Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians is the most autobiographical. In it, the great apostle lifts the veil on his private life and allows us to catch a glimpse of his human frailties and needs. You need to read that entire letter in one sitting to capture the moving emotion that surged through his soul. In this letter, Paul records the specifics of his anguish, tears, affliction, and satanic opposition. He spells out the details of his persecution, loneliness, imprisonments, beatings, feelings of despair, hunger, shipwrecks, sleepless nights, and that thorn in the flesh, his companion of pain. How close it makes us feel to him when we see him as a man with real, honest-to-goodness problems just like ours. It's not surprising, then, that he begins the letter with words of comfort, especially in verses 3 through 11. Ten times in five verses, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 7, Paul uses the same root word, parakaleo, sometimes in verb form, sometimes in noun form, meaning literally, to call alongside. This word involves more than a shallow pat on the back with a tired expression, The Lord bless you. No, this word involves genuine, in-depth understanding, deep-down compassion, and sympathy. This seems especially appropriate since it says that God, our Father, is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Our loving Father is never preoccupied and or removed when we are enduring sadness and affliction. I was enjoying this as I heard it on the radio. And then he went on to say that there's another observation worth noting that we're given three reasons for suffering in the first chapter of this book. And he said, oh, by the way, they all begin... With the word that. And so I'm thinking. Great outline. There are going to be three hinna clauses. Now for those of you who have no idea what I just said. Hinna is a Greek word that simply means. In order that. It's used many 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 times in the New Testament. Especially in Paul's arguments. Because he thinks so logically. He often says in order that. This happens In order that this will happen. Or this happened in order that this might happen. Repeatedly used. And I'm thinking, it's great when the New Testament gives you your own outline. And then I started looking at what it actually said. And I don't even know what translation he was using where he found the word that used in the three verses he mentions. But himna is not used in those three spots. And so I said, well, probably nothing that he said was untrue, but he didn't get it from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And so I started looking at what it really did say. And by the way, I was going to borrow his outline. You know, they call that stealing in other places, but I was just going to borrow it with attribution. But I decided not to do that. I did borrow his quote about the whole purpose of the book because it's very, very accurate. The entire book, Paul talks about the things that he endured as a faithful servant of Christ. And he does so more in this book than in his other books, all put together as far as I can tell. But we need to go back to the very beginning and see how he starts. It's interesting that he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Because later on in this epistle Paul has to defend his apostleship. And so he starts simply by saying, I'm an apostle because God made me one by his will. He mentions his brother Timothy and There are two letters written to Timothy, and Timothy is mentioned repeatedly in the New Testament. And then he talks about the people he's writing the letter to. The church of God, not just in the city of Corinth, but the entire province surrounding it, Achaia. And he uses a very standard greeting, grace and peace. And he also uses the standard from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometime, just take the New Testament and go to the beginning of all the Pauline epistles and see how he starts them. It's, it's kind of an interesting study to look at the words he uses to begin his letters and then consider how the letters continue. What's his purpose in writing this letter, etc. Sometimes the way he approaches his greeting... Is the way he intends to continue. And then we get to verse three, and this is really my starting point tonight. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not something that Paul commonly says. Someone turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verses 3 and 4 for me. If you find it, read it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now someone turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and also verse 3 and the next verse or 2. You'll probably know when to stop. I can read okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Keep going for a little bit. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved for you in heaven who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. All right. So why does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 that God is blessed? Because of his work in eternity past the entire first chapter has to do with uh, the, the glory of our election in, in Jesus Christ by God the Father. And then what's the purpose of Peter in his doxology in 1 Peter chapter 1? Peter is talking about the fact that we are kept to eternal life. We have a great future. So on the one hand, Paul talks in Ephesians about what God did in the past. And on the other hand, Peter talks about what God will do in the future. That is a certainty. But here, in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives a doxology that talks about, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us now. If it were not for what we're taught in Ephesians 1 and what we're taught in 1st Peter 1 it would be really hard to be comforted in this present life would it not that's true and so once again I'm borrowing I'm not really very smart so I do that a lot there are great men of God who have study the scriptures far more deeply and efficiently than I ever have or will, who have some great things to say. And I will add a little bit, but mostly I will let the scripture and some of God's choice servants speak. Quoting I read, you seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. So wrote the man who was called in his day the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world, Dr. John Henry Jowett. Was he successful? He pastored leading churches. He preached to huge congregations and wrote books that were bestsellers. And he said, I don't have it all together. Quoting again, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Those were words spoken in a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And once again... It's possible that he was the greatest preacher England ever produced. Discouragement is no respecter of persons. Suffering is no respecter of persons. In fact, discouragement seems to attack the successful far more than the unsuccessful, for the higher we climb, the farther down we can fall. Did you ever notice that those people who are God's servants in public view are far more prone to attacks than the average person sitting in the pew? It's as if when God blesses a man's ministry, a target is painted on his back. And that may be in a local church. It may be in a wider field. So we are not surprised when we read the Apostle Paul was pressed out of measure and despaired even of life as it says in, 1 Corinthians 1, or in 2 Corinthians one eight. Great as he was in character and ministry Paul was human just like the rest of us and that meant there were times of failure. Paul could have escaped many of the burdens that he had except that he had a call from God. Paul called to be an apostle by the will of God. In verse 1. And he had a concern to help people. He had founded the church at Corinth and ministered there for a year and a half, according to Acts chapter 18 and verses 1 through 18. When serious problems arose in the church after his departure, he sent Timothy to deal with them in 1 Corinthians 4.17. And so, when we read about Timothy in verse 1, we recognize that Timothy had a great part in the ministry to that church as well. And then he wrote the letter that we call 1 Corinthians. But in this entire letter, there is a great theme of comfort or consolation or encouragement. We don't really have a great English word to translate parakaleo or parakletos. In fact, it's interesting looking at those words how oftentimes they're used in means that don't mean comfort or encouragement. I was surprised to find how many times it's translated uh, beg or request or beseech or at the opposite extreme how many times it means to Uh, let's say, be firm, to challenge. How many of you have seen Big Hero 6? If you don't have small kids, probably not. Big Hero 6 is like a medic, and he's this big, huge, fat, white robot. And he's really soft. And when you need a hug, he'll give you one. Kind of a cute movie, definitely comes out of uh, Japanese anime in some sense. That's not the kind of comfort that Paul is describing here. The word a cognate of the word, the verb or the noun form, can be found 28 times in this letter. And 10 of those times are right here at these first uh, or in verses three through five. It's just over and over and over and over. Comfort, comfort, comfort. Consolation. And so, Paul begins his letter by giving us a doxology which tells us when it comes to our suffering, we need to remember what God is to us. Nobody in his situation would want to sing out about his circumstances. And I guarantee you, if you have been in Christ for any period of time, there have been those times when you really didn't feel like singing, but he could sing about the God who's in control of all circumstances. Paul had learned that praise is an important factor in achieving victory over discouragement and depression. Praise changes things just as much as prayer changes things. Praise Him because He's God. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop here for a moment and ask you a question. Because this is something I'm prone to. When you think of the persons of the Trinity, do you think of God the Father as being the rather stern, judgmental, firm person of the Trinity? And then there's Jesus who was the intercessor, the redeemer, the one who brought us to the Father and removed the wall of partition. So he's the loving one, right? And then there's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and sometimes it's kind of nebulous to think about what he does. I mean, he's big hero six, I guess. He gives us a big hug. He directs us to Christ. Well, Paul doesn't talk about God the Father in that way. What did he say? He praises God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of all comfort. This is not the man standing there with a sword ready to destroy us. He's the one who comforts us. And so I think the lesson we must learn there is that whatever characteristics one person of the Trinity has, all three of them have. They have different responsibilities. But they are all God, and God is all of those things that he is described to be. And so God the Father is the one who comforts us. Wow. Paul praised God for present blessings for what God was accomplishing then and there. And what God was accomplishing in Paul's life was oftentimes great suffering. Now, just recently, within the last couple of weeks, I've heard news about three different situations. One is a friend, a young woman who is uh, pretty much my kid's age, a very, very talented musician, so much so that she travels around the country She plays the harp really well. And she's a great soprano. And she was in Texas for some musical conference when she went to the ER with great abdominal pain. And they weren't quite sure what to do, but they did some studies and they did a CAT scan and they gave her drugs to get her home. So she flew home and... We were asked to pray, but nobody was told why. Just pray. The reason it turns out, and she was willing to share this the night before surgery on Friday, was that she had an 11 centimeter tumor on her uterus. Now, nobody likes to hear the word tumor, but it's more than that for a woman to hear that that tumor is on her uterus because there was the concern that her ability to bear children would be impacted. Perhaps even a little worse is a young man that I worked with years and years ago in scouting who's now grown. And he's gotten married and had a child. And they announced on Facebook the great news that his wife was pregnant again. Everybody's excited. And then she had a miscarriage and lost that baby. And so, being a Christian, he said, please, pray for us, but leave us to grieve alone for a while. There were plenty of people around to support us. And I thought that was rather interesting We want you to know what happened. We want you to pray. But for the time being, keep your distance. And then the third one actually happened two years ago. The first time I saw this, a couple of years ago, I was tracking because of some news I had heard about a young man who was a child in our previous church. He's grown up to become not only a very good musician, but a very godly man. And he married a redhead, and that's a good thing. (laughs) You all never have met my wife as a redhead, but she is. It was a great video. They had two sons. She got pregnant, and she arranged to have an announcement videotaped. And so she had this whole scavenger hunt kind of thing, very, very well done, to let him know that he was going to be a father again. And it was just so much fun to watch, except that within a few short months of that announcement, an ultrasound indicated that this baby had acrania or anencephaly, which... To be very graphic means, from his eyebrows up, there really wasn't anything but skin. This child was not going to survive. They didn't know if this child would live to be born. And this family decided they would carry this child to term and let God choose when he would die. They have since had another baby but he played as a a memory that video from when that announcement was made and it brought back to my mind all the things I thought. The first time I met her was at a memorial service for this little baby who lived 40 minutes, which was long enough for his mother and father and his grandparents and his two brothers to hold him. And then he ceased breathing. And the most recent family photo, this baby's picture, is at the bottom of the family photo. They took an 8x10, laid it at the feet of their boys, and took the family photo because they fully expect to meet Jedediah again. Those are three situations that just strike us as life-changing and horrible. All of them are a consequence of sin. And yet things could be worse. During the horrors of the Thirty Years' War, a war between Germany and the German states, I should say, and Switzerland... Pastor Martin Rinkert faithfully served the people in Eilenburg, Saxony. He conducted as many as 40 funerals in a day. Over the course of the war and plagues that took place as a consequence of the war, he became the only pastor remaining in the city. One fled because he couldn't stand the pressure Two others died in the plague, and he conducted their funerals. He conducted the funeral of his wife. 4,000 funerals in a little city. Great devastation. And you have to wonder how someone could continue to minister to his flock under situations like that. Take a hymnal from in front of you for a moment and turn to number 18. 18. We're not going to sing. I just want you to read it. Towards the end of the 30 years war, he wrote a poem. Now he wrote it in German, not in English. So what you see before you, hymn number 18, is a translation. But the German title, danket," means now thank. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices. He wrote that poem as a table prayer for his children, and we sing it out of our hymnal. Now, this is a man who truly understood something of suffering. Praise him because he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him because he's the father of mercies. And so we see, not only remember who God is, but remember what God does for you. Chapter 1, verse 4 in the first part. Who is it who brings trials? Who is it who brings suffering? Who's in charge of Hurricane Michael? It hit the coast of Florida as a Category 5, I believe. I talked to some people on the phone today who were shutting their computers because it was getting bad where they lived at the... uh, Florida Alabama line. One of my co-workers had vacation scheduled for a week from Saturday in Panama City Beach. He doesn't even know if the place where he was scheduled to go is even going to be there. Again, who brings the trials? It is God. And God is the one who encourages us in them. I sometimes have to stop and think. I can look around our congregation, and I can say, I know this about that person or that family. I know a little bit about the history or the health problems, the trials that have been faced, and in some cases the trials that are still going on. Who brought those trials? God God does. And God is the God of all comfort who comforts us. Now I mentioned at the beginning that, that there were three things that were mentioned in the sermon that I heard on the radio and we could go through the scriptures because that word that is translated comfort or consolation is found all through the New Testament. It's interesting to me, in fact, that in John 14 to 16, Jesus uses the word three times regarding the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter that He would send. And that's not because we need somebody to hold our hand, it's because we need somebody to encourage us and strengthen us and give us the ability to carry on. There are times when I don't have that ability. And I guarantee you that every one of us has felt that at some point. The man who normally stands behind this pulpit has experienced that. And yet, he can stand up here on Sundays and Wednesdays with a smile on his face, occasionally tell a really corny joke, and faithfully preach the gospel to us faithfully expound the scriptures to us. That's a glorious thing. Despite trials he is faithful because God is the God of all comfort. So we could go on and on and on about the reasons that God brings suffering and the ways in which God comforts and why God comforts but most of that we find right there in those first couple of verses. The God who is our Father, but the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us for what reason? He says it there. And by the way, this is not a Hinna clause it's an ace ta clause unto that it's, it's an interesting expression Greek is not like English so it can't be translated exactly but if you were to say it very literally he comforts us unto the to be able to comfort he comforts us so that we can comfort others yeah. wow Did God really bring that into my life so that I could help someone else? Or did He bring it into my life so that I could assume the fetal position, curl up, pull the covers over my head, and whine? We're going to stop with this. Remember what God does through you. A man named Dr. George Truitt, who was for 50 years the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, mentioned in a sermon that he had ministered to an unbelieving couple whose baby died suddenly. There are few things as painful for a family as watching a baby die. He conducted the funeral continued to minister and had the joy later of leading them both to saving faith in Christ. Many months later, another young mother lost her child. Dr. Truett was called to bring comfort to this woman, but nothing he shared with her seemed to help. And sometimes there seems to be nothing we can do to help. Have you ever been in those situations where someone needs comfort and you don't know what to say? Mm -hmm. Have you said nothing because you were afraid to say the wrong thing? Sometimes it's just, I'm here. I don't know what you need. Everyone grieves differently. Everyone suffers differently. But in this case, at the funeral service, the newly converted mother stepped to the young girl's side and said, I passed through this and I know what you are passing through. God called me and through the darkness I came to him. He has comforted me and he will comfort you. Dr. Truitt said, the first mother did more for the second mother than I could have done maybe in days and months. For the first young mother had traveled the road of suffering herself. But Paul doesn't in this passage tell us that we have to suffer the exact same trial that someone else is suffering. We have all suffered in different ways. We have experienced different, different trials. Somehow or another. Another. Because we are the people of God. And because the God of all comfort comforts us in our trials so that we can comfort others in their trials, we have a ministry. I read a couple of commentaries that try to say that what Paul is teaching in these verses only applies to pastors because obviously it's Paul the Apostle speaking, and so he's addressing the needs of... No, he's addressing the Corinthian church. Remember that church in Corinth and all through Achaia? All of us are to be ministers to one another because we serve a God who is a God of all comfort. Yes, I know of the trials many of you face. And have faced. I also know this. If Christ does not return for us very quickly, there will be more trials. And so Paul teaches us that we have a responsibility to say, yeah, I have suffered too. I know the God who has the answer. I know the God who is the comfort that you need. It's not just for those of us in this room either. We have recently, if you follow the church's Facebook page, heard of others who have suffered. We have heard people mentioned in, in our times for prayer requests on Sundays and Wednesdays, mentioned people that I may never meet. But someone in this body does know And so we have a ministry of comfort because of our relationship to the God of all comfort. I guarantee this. These words have been valuable to me many times over the years, particularly in the last nine. I have a friend who is not a believer... who was diagnosed with lung cancer. Now he had surgery and he had chemo and he had radiation and he's been declared cancer-free. Well, so has my wife three different times. And now she's declared stable but terminal. I think I need to take my ball and go home no, what I need to do is remember that I have a God who's a God of all comfort and so does she and believe me my wife's faith is far stronger than mine I don't know what would have happened had I been the one to be diagnosed but I did read about a man who was arrested for his faith and was sentenced to be burned at the stake. <clears throat> the night before in his cell he had nothing really but a candle and a pen and some paper so he'd write farewells. And he looked at that candle flame and thought tomorrow I am to be burned. Will I be able to stand? And so he put his finger into the flame. And it started to burn him. And he jerked his finger back and said, there's no way. I, I'll be able to, to stay faithful tomorrow. I can't even stand this little flame. Well, you know when God gave the necessary grace? When it was really required. Because the next day he was asked to recant and he said, I cannot. And he was burned to death. And he was able to stand that horrible means of death because God gave the grace then, when it was needed. Now, I kind of think anybody who purposely sticks their hand into a candle flame needs to reconsider their options. But I also know this. Every one of us is going to face a trial that may feel like everything is burning up. And when we do, the God of all comfort will be there for us. And when we pass through that trial, the God of all comfort will enable us to comfort others. Some of us who are older can look back at things that have happened in our lives and say, that was a terrible time and I'm so glad it happened. My house burned down when my children were very small. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I didn't lose anything that couldn't be replaced. Even our wedding photos and the photos of the births of our children survived. Not our clothes, not the kids' toys, not pictures on the walls. Definitely not our television and VCR and etc. All that stuff melted. And I don't want any of you to have a house fire. But we did, and I'm glad we did. Because God taught us some important lessons. First of which is never let a one year old play with the knobs on a gas stove. We like to remind him now that he's, you know, nearly thirty, yeah, you burned our house down. (laughs) God is faithful. God is a God of all comfort, no matter what you face, what you're facing right now, the things you haven't shared with us, because they're too painful, too deep. God knows them. And God is still the God of all comfort.